So I'm really good at, I'm not really good at doing these things, but I hope it works here. This is, the title is Come See, and the guys that do this stuff back there, they do it so well. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you. I got a hold of Bob this past week, and he says, eh, it'll get done, Oscar. I touch my computer, and it goes the opposite direction. I don't know about you when it comes to touching keys, but I really thank you, Bob, for being able to do that, brother. Really do. Um, this is Come See, and so we're going to uh, move one more slide. And um, kind of so that you understand kind of the setting. And I think it's important for understanding the setting. Um, Jesus and the group are right down here in Judea. They've been baptizing. As a matter of fact, Jesus hears that the Pharisees are saying in John chapter 4 uh, that there's a lot of baptizing going on. In other words, people are identifying with Jesus and believing in the Lord. So this is taking place like right down in here. So, the setting of John 4 that we're going to cover today, um, there was three routes. Three routes to get to Galilee. Okay? One route meant you went from Jerusalem right through Samaria to Galilee. Some of you grew up with this saying, the shortest line between two points is a what? A straight line. Okay? Some of you picked that up in school, I know, because I think... I, I picked that up somewhere too. But all I'm saying is that's not the direction that most Jews took. Most Jews, because there was a conflict, a hundred years before Jesus' time on this earth, the Jews wiped out the temple in Samaria. So there was a lot of what? A lot of tension between the Jews and Samaritans. Okay? Much like we've had tension over the last two or three years. The polarization politically. Families are polarized. Communities, states. Some states are blue and some states are red. Is that a polarization at all, people? Yeah. So polarization's going on here. And the Jews went into Samaria and wiped out their temple. And so the Samaritans responded. Anytime a Jew would come through, the, they would spit on him, throw things at him. It was horrific. So, I don't know about you, I try to ignore those people. And I go the other way. I go around them. You know, so there's a sea route. We go from here, Galilee. Or we go the inside route, up. But do you know what Jesus does? I love Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love him. He goes straight through Samaria. And he goes to a place here at Sychar. Sychar is a place where Jacob dug the well. And today's focus is going to be a clip from The Chosen. Anybody here have watched any of The Chosen? Okay. Good, some of you have. I talked to my son, Stephen, yesterday. I said, well, son, he goes, Dad. I go, I go, what? It's unbelievable. I said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Your golf swing? What? What's unbelievable? I watched The Chosen the other day. Tell mom she's got to watch it. <laughs> I said, do you know how your mom is designed? No. 
she loves to read things and she loves to interpret things through. How many of you here are readers? Okay, I see the three of you. Um, how many of you guys like movie flicks and stuff? Are there some people? Okay, I see the 300 of you. Uh-huh. No, all I'm saying is we learn different ways. And that's how my wife is. She loves to read. And so I just said to her, hey, honey, uh, let's watch. No, I'm going to, I'll read it. So she'll read John 4, and she has it down. But Stephen's point was, there's, it puts more meaning to it if you can actually hear some of the people. And so we're going to watch just about 10 minutes of it, and, I, and then we're going to make some kind of observations. We're going to make some takeaways, and we'll just try to apply it prior to taking communion today. So, okay, I think the next thing to do is the chosen, the woman at the well. If you want to follow through with your Bible, it's John chapter 4. You want to catch the lights there a little bit? Thank you, guys. They're going into Sychar to get some food. Jesus is going to the well.
That's going to be our new theme song as we depart from church. Um, <laughs> you like music, don't you, Tommy? I love it. Just think this through with me for just a moment. We've got John 4, 39 to 42. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Remember? He told me everything I ever did. Verse 40, and so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. So he stayed two days. And because of his words, many became what? Believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. The definite article V tells us there is one Savior, and that's Jesus. Or it would have been phrased, if there were other Saviors, Jesus is a Savior. But that's not how the Word of God is written. He's the Savior of the world. A couple takeaways. He's the Savior of the world. The Messiah is omniscient. He knows everything that we've done or are doing or will do. If you can just imagine, you meet him and you embrace Jesus. He knows everything you did in the third grade uh-huh, and fourth grade, mm-hmm, and seminary, mm-hmm, and college, mm-hmm. When I cheated on a test in seminary, he saw me. I went to Professor Bob, and I said, Bob, it was like the question that was being asked was, who is buried in Grant's tomb? And I couldn't remember. And I'm serious. It was like an answer just like that, and I went blank. But when all the tests came over to me because I was sitting in the front left, I saw an answer, and I knew it was Grant, and so I wrote it in. And so I went to Bob. He was my soteriology professor, and I just apologized and asked his forgiveness. And he stopped me, put a hand on my shoulder, and said, Oscar, I have never had a seminary student apologize for cheating. I said, well, Bob, it me. I did it. God sees everything. The Messiah is omniscient. He is also, he desires worshipers to worship him in, in what way? Spirit and truth. This building here doesn't save people. Jesus saves. The Messiah saves. And he desires those that put their trust in him to worship him in spirit and in truth. We'll see that in just a minute here. We see that the Messiah does not shame or condemn. Some of you may know John 5:24. It states the following. Jesus said, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life does not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Jesus, the Messiah, does not condemn. He is 
again, the Savior of the world. The water that he gives springs up to what? Eternal life, people. Eternal life. This is good stuff from John chapter 4. Now some takeaways that we can kind of take away from this passage. My question to you, and I'm going to be flat out honest with you, is he your Messiah? Is he your Savior? I can't do it for you. I trusted him in 1970 as my Savior. In 1972, when I found my roommate dead in college, I said this prayer. I'm done playing games, God. Your way. Basketball's over there. My golf club's over there. My hot 1958 uh, Volkswagen bug is out there. They're all yours. They're all yours. Any future relationships, it's all yours because I've hurt people. And I don't want to hurt anyone else. Is he your Messiah? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? You get to answer that, people. Kevin shared a phrase last Sunday, meditate on that. Is he? Next question, kind of a takeaway I thought was good. How do we operate or how do we live today in the presence of an all-knowing God? How do we do that, people? How do we live? Do we just ignore his omniscience? He's all-knowing. He knows what's happening tomorrow before tomorrow gets here because he knows all things. He knows all things. We can't make people to become Christians. Some of us have. I've done that. Pray this prayer with me. And the person says, I want you out of the house. I'll pray the prayer with you, but it doesn't mean a thing. You hear what I'm saying? We don't need we just need look what it says they need to see him in us it's called what transformation a butterfly was in a cocoon and that cocoon opens up and the butterfly flies out and we go oh, wow what takes place in our lives when we make the messiah our savior our lives begin to change people begin to see things transformation in 2023 is the greatest miracle the greatest transformation is your life and my life changed. Not because we do a list of do's and don'ts. I'm not preaching moralism to you people. That was taking place in the 70s and the 80s in churches. I'm talking about transformation, allowing in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, name Jesus, to change our lives so that we can be what God wants us to be. Be with people. Take time to be with people. Jesus was at a well. On a scale of one to 10, the young lady that was coming out to gather water came out in the afternoon. Why? On a scale of one to 10, where would you put her as an evangelist? 
I'd say at about a negative 36 because of her lifestyle, correct? But Jesus sat with her and visited with her, broke down all of her arguments for her. Yes, I am a prophet. Thank you. And I do know all five of your husbands. And I didn't have to name them all, but I named at least two. Jesus knows. God has not called us to be churchian. I asked my wife, is there such a word as churchian? <laughs> she goes, well, put it, spell it, and then see if the computer spits it out, you know, beep at you. But a churchian, God's not called us to be churchians. What has he called us to be? Disciples. Follow Christ. Maybe you've never trusted him. The takeaway would be trust him. Identify with Christ through baptism and then continue through teaching. Baptism doesn't save anyone, but it identifies you. When I got baptized December 13, 1972, I had attended church there a couple Sundays. And I noticed one Sunday, they up on the platform, they took part of the platform off and people walked down into a, a bathtub. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You've seen that before? And I asked Jerry, who was mentoring me, I said, Jerry, what are they doing? He goes, uh, they're baptizing. Getting ba Why are they getting baptized? He says, well, we'll talk about that next week. So three weeks later, I went through the waters of baptism. I'll never forget that. Because after I got all dried up and cleaned up and came out, there were three women with hair like my color sitting like right here where you are at, Renee. And they said, Oscar, can we talk with you? I said, oh no, what did I do? You ever thought that, you know? They said, uh, I said, what did I do? I said, it's what you've done. You identified with Jesus. And the three of us want to pray for you every single day. I know who got me through my last quarter in college. It was those three women. I identified with Jesus, the Jesus that Kevin talked about last Sunday who takes away the sins of the world. It's his sacrifice not our sacrifice that saves us. And we come alongside as we take a look at another takeaway here. We are not alone people. We're not on islands. We're a kingdom. God is building that and bringing people to faith. I would encourage you to grow. And as that song was singing, let's go. And those disciples began to minister in Sychar. Jesus, as you probably are aware in John chapter 2, had changed water into wine. Do you guys remember the conversation that Jesus had in John chapter 2 with his mother? Do you remember what he said to his mother? Mom, it's not my time. In other words, he hadn't revealed himself. And then in John 3, we get to meet Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee and is trying to figure things out. You cannot be doing what you're doing if you weren't from God. Who are you? And then John 4, where does he begin his public ministry for two days? in Samaria. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? 
God, what are you doing, Jesus? We're going to start changing people's lives because of the message that changes. And we don't do this alone, people. If you're here and you've got some issues you want to deal with and talk about, Pastor Tommy's here. We've got elders here just to sit down and visit with you and pray with you. We want to be a body that impacts our community. History tells the story. This is about 33 AD, people, that this is taking place, and we're going to move all the way to 2023. So hang on. Jesus' ministry has gone forth and is going on right now. Countries are being changed because of the gospels of Jesus. We may not be seeing that here in America as much. Uh, we see a lot of polarization here in America, but Jesus is being preached around the world. In Matthew 28, Jesus gave the 11, and then we added one more in Acts chapter 1. You can find out who that 12th person was. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have said and commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. If you're a fundamentalist, evangelical, have you heard that message ever before? Oh, please, don't repeat it again. But why do we take communion? Oh, <laughs> good question. Why do we? I just go through the motions. Is that really why we're here? So we're one of those churchians. Well, it, you know, up a little. Did I? Did, did it fall off? It's on my shirt. I'm sure got my pants are hooked together here. But I mean, last time I spoke here, this thing went crazy. I'm, thank you so much. And I probably need as much help here. Okay, that would stick me in the nose. That would not work. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> How's that now? All right, thanks so much. I think it's important for us to realize that this passage here those men and women took the gospel message. Hello, we're in 2023, and if it wasn't for this gospel message, we wouldn't be here today. Do you guys understand that? The church started growing. On day one of the church, I think is it 3,000 or 5,000 were baptized on day one? Oh my goodness, it started spreading and growing. We're a part of that movement. But Jesus says, go and make what? Disciples. And this is how you do it. You baptize and teach. Those are the two verbs there in the passage. We baptize and teach. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. Teaching is the teaching that Pastor Tommy does here. Kevin did last Sunday. Whoever speaks up here, are we listening to the Word of God? We've got a book called The Bible that we can trust, it's there. I want to encourage you. Are we going to go through ups and downs and hard times and easy? Oh, we're going to go through some tough times. But we've got Jesus who says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Church history here. The Apostle Paul, who became a believer in the book of Acts, you can read about him, he was persecuting the church. And now he's an ambassador to the church. Look what he says to the church at Corinth. 
the church is spreading through the Mediterranean area. Do you not know, and this is written rhetorically, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Because of that, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So the Apostle Paul was addressing the group of people at Corinth. The church is spreading. The next slide. 1 John 4, 4. This is kind of, would be West Turkey, where this church was at this time. And the Apostle John, who is the writer of the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation, says the following. You, dear children, are from, help me out there, you're from God and have overcome them. Why? Because the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world. They were giving hope to the church that was being and growing throughout the world. So, let's look at our takeaways real quick. Is he your Messiah? Is he my Savior? I can only answer that for myself. I can't answer that for my sons, my daughter, or my wife. Okay? But the gospel message says we've yet to make a choice. How do we operate? How do we live in the presence of an all-knowing God? Meditate on that, please. Think about it. Does God know when I wake up and I can't sleep at 3 in the morning and I get up, is he aware of my thoughts and where I'm at? If I have to look and see if someone's watching when I do something, what is it? Is he omniscient? Meditate on it. We can't make people Christians, but God wants to change us. That is a cool thing. Be with people. Encourage people. Listen to people. You know, I think in our moralistic viewpoint, we always want to have an answer for any question. Would you agree with that? I, if someone has a question, I want to get an answer to them. You know, sometimes just listening to the person, just listen to them and ask pertinent questions. Go get your husband. Um, I'm not married. You spoke truth. You spoke truth really truthfully you did because you've been married to five and the man you're living with the man you're living with is not your husband he's omniscient people he's omniscient and I want to encourage us as a body of believers we're not at this life alone let's grow let's encourage other people to hear about the great message of Jesus this last slide, and Tommy will pray, and then I'll have you come up for the communion time. This is a, a picture of tremendous hope. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. I always thought that I wouldn't have any problems once I trusted him, and I commit my life every day to him. But I'm beginning to see that, hey, when troubles come, I can depend on him more and more all the time. I'm so grateful that my life isn't perfect. There's times I wish it was a little bit easier. 
But God says, depend on me, Oscar. Depend on me. And he will help each one of us. Every, anywhere where you're at, he will help. Meditate on John 4 this week if you don't have a place to read. And just think about what the Savior has done for us. And what he desires to do as we make disciples for him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity for us to take communion and to evaluate where we're at. We appreciate that. We ask your blessing in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, Oscar, so much, and I really appreciate the Lynn and, and Kevin covering for me in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Paul said in Colossians um, that we've been looking at before we left that uh, in his body dwells the fullness of the deity, and in him you too find fulfillment, complete fulfillment in him. I, I went to two different churches over in England, very, very different, very different churches. Um, they had different theological perspectives. They had different practices. They, they worshiped a lot differently. Their styles were different, very different. But they all, they both did one thing, and that is they did communion or the Eucharist. Uh, I call the Eucharist the, or the, the communion the touchstone of orthodoxy. That is where we come back regardless of where we may out there. We can debate over things. We can argue over stuff. We can, we can talk about what the church should be doing, shouldn't be doing. We can look at theological perspectives. We can argue about all this stuff. You can have doubts that maybe you're beginning to wonder if I really believe what I was taught to believe when I grew up. And, and, and maybe some of you haven't quite realized that I am always right. So, uh, you know, you might be dealing with that. Uh, I say that jokingly, of course. I could be speaking heresy up here, which is very, very possible. But we come back here. This is the touchstone of orthodoxy. This is what the message is. And when Jesus talked about this, it was very tactile. It was very, very um, shocking. It was scandalous. Um, when he said, the, which is a passage I will read here in a few minutes, um, it's very material. But this is where we come back to. This is where we leave our doubts. This is where we leave our arguments. This is where we leave our debates. This is where we leave our, our discussions. And we come back to the touchstone of orthodoxy of this event, this drama, this music, this scripture that we do, we act it out that we are in Christ and then in this symbolic way we take Christ in by taking in blood the, the bread and the cup and we, take, we symbolically take Christ in this is where we find our name this is where we find who we truly are and not who the enemy says we are so I'm going to read the passage that uh, follows uh, John chapter 4 and um, that story Oscar always always moves me um, and seeing it on screen I mean you start to tear up you go oh wow this was just 
you know, it's just amazing. But following this, he kind of gives this, this uh, teaching. And he uh, tells the, the Pharisees and the people who are kind of not sure about all this, stop grumbling. Uh, and he says, it is written in the prophets that they will be taught by God. And everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one who has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. And I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And anyone who eats of this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, and I will give it for the life of the world. What we do here is this reacting of this incredible mystery of the incarnation of God. His death on the cross that says it took away the sins of the world, including mine, including yours. And he literally and miraculously and physically rose from the dead and we inherit life through him. So this is what we're celebrating. This is the touchstone of orthodoxy. And we're gonna pass out the bread. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come on up here and we'll pass out the bread and I ask you to hold it and then I will we'll pray and thanks, uh, thank the Lord for the bread and we'll take it together. So I'm going to ask the people that were, what Chuck had asked to come up and help with, the, with communion here.
so you can hear me as well as God. <laughs> Father, we are thankful for what this bread represents. And uh, as we take it into our, our bodies, we take you in symbolically into ourselves. And we find our home in you. And we thank you for this bread that will never, we will never grow hungry because of what you've done for us. And it's in the name of the Savior we pray. Amen. Thank you for what it symbolizes, the incarnation and the blood spilt for, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we take it in faith, knowing that you have done this for us. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.